So glad for each and every one of you that are here today, this special day that we uh, prepare for 2024 and the different ministries that we will support as a local church. We do believe in supporting ministries outside of our congregation. We believe that is important, just as we all pay 10% of our income to the church. As a local church, we try to give at least 10% of what comes in to ministries out beyond this church. That's our way of paying tithes as a church to bless global missions and North American missions and, and to bless other ministries even in our local community. So thank you for uh, your prayerful consideration of uh, what you can do to be a part of our Go Ministries. We receive our commitments today, but it doesn't start until January, and it's uh, for the year 2024. This allows us to budget as a local church for the different ministries that we will support, and it also allows you to budget what you feel God has put upon your heart uh, to give to the work of the Lord. Certainly we know we're living in a day when we believe the Lord is coming back soon. But there's a great work to do between now and then. And we know that God has put it on our hearts to be able to share the gospel with the whole world. We're thankful that just a few weeks ago, we saw over 3,000 people receive the Spirit of the Lord in Madagascar and South Africa. Some of this church was there, part of that crusade. I'm gonna turn your attention to the book of Judges chapter six. But while you're turning there, if you came in this morning and you did not receive a uh, booklet or a card uh, and an envelope in it, if you just raise your hand, the ushers will come around. I'd like for that to be in your possession uh, during the next few minutes as I uh, minister to you out of the word of the Lord. If you don't have a card in your possession, it'll say generosity opportunities. You can just raise your hand or if you've not received one of these booklets, they've been out now for a couple of weeks, but if you've not received one of these uh, and you want to know a little bit more about what the Go Ministries is all about, then you can just raise your hand. If you're watching by internet, uh, you can go online and they have a digital copy uh, of the booklet as well. We wanna make sure that everybody has this information uh, in their possession. Make sure that you have it with you as we look to the book of Judges chapter six and verse 25. This is the story of Gideon. Some of you may be familiar with this story, but the story of Gideon is one that has sort of captured my uh, attention and imagination throughout uh, the last several months. And I begin to read something in uh, these scriptures that I'm going to read to you that just caught my attention. And I believe there's something here that we can draw from that will be a blessing to our, our lives, our homes, our families, and even our local church. Judges chapter six and verse 25. And it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, him referring to Gideon, take thy father's young bullock, even the second bullock of seven years old, and throw down the altar of Baal that thy father hath, and cut down the grove that is by it, and build an altar unto the Lord thy God upon the top of this rock in the ordered place, and take the second bullock and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the grove which thou shalt cut down. And Gideon took 10 men of his servants and did as the Lord had said unto him. And so it was because he feared his father's household and the men of the city that he could not do it by day, that he did it by night. And when the men of the city arose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was cast down and the grove was cut down that was by it. And the second bullock 
was offered upon the altar that was built. I'd like to speak this morning on the simple subject, the second bullock, the second bullock. And you may be seated. Thank you for standing. The context of the verses that we read to you was that the nation of Israel was in chaos at this time. Uh, they had gone back to the worship of false gods, as you know, and reading the Old Testament, they seemed to go on a cycle of doing good for a while when they had godly leadership, and then they would sort of derail whenever uh, they had leadership that did not make worshiping the one true living God, Yahweh, as a priority. They would seem to uh, go back to these uh, false gods and idols, and certainly Baal worship uh, was a big part of that. And this is where Israel was at this particular time. They had left the Lord. They they had gone back to worshiping Baal and, and idols, and, and uh, they were being oppressed by the Midianites. That's something else that you see that's pretty consistent, is when the children of Israel would go away from worshiping the one true living God. Hear, O Israel, Deuteronomy 6, 4, the Lord. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. When they would leave that truth and they would go to worship in all of these false gods that were made with man's hands, there would always be this oppression by other nations. They would lose that moral authority and that moral high ground, and they would become oppressed by uh, other groups of people. And this was the case in the verses that we read today in your hearing. The Midianites were uh, sort of nomads. They weren't necessarily an established nation, but uh, they were a large group of people. And for times of war, they would gather with the Amalekites and the Moabites, and there would be all kinds of different bites that would gather together, and they would make a, a large army, and they could uh, create quite a uh, uh, amount of destruction. And, and so this was a time when the Midianites were really uh, troubling uh, the children of Israel. And so God had called a man by the name of Gideon to be the next judge that would lead the children of Israel to victory. But he he was a, a very reluctant warrior, to say the least. He, he just couldn't imagine that God would use him. He couldn't imagine that God would call him. He said, I'm the least of the least of the tribes, and, and I, I just can't, I, 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 you must have a bad connection. You must have the wrong guy. You've got the wrong address. There's a mix-up in heaven. Something's not right because I'm not your guy. And so he asked that God would show him a sign, a tangible sign, and, and God did. We often uh, refer to it as a fleece, uh, a test, as it were, that this was indeed a miraculous calling with miraculous power. And the reason we call it a fleece is because that's what Gideon used. He said if it's wet on one side and dry on the other, and then whenever it was something that wasn't according to the elements, you know, it was opposite of what was going on with the elements and the grass being uh, wet in the morning, the dew and the, so forth, and they would flip it back and then he would do the other. He just needed a lot of confirmation that indeed this was God. But if Gideon thought that his interaction with the Lord would have immediate consequences, he was, uh, he was quickly proven wrong. God was about to make things very, very difficult for this unsure, hesitant Israelite. Because after delivering a command and then a miraculous sign with this fleece, this test that Gideon needed, the Lord speaks to Gideon again that very night in the text that we read. Uh, earlier commands that he had given Gideon were vague. Gideon was simply told to rely on God's power to rescue the nation from oppression by Midian. But this instruction that he gives you in the text that we read is very specific, and it's, and it's dangerously provocative. God's orders involved directly violating a false religious center as well as sacrificing some of his 
family's property. He knew that there would be immediate consequences. The Lord commands Gideon to pull down an altar to Baal and to Asherah, the pole that is next to it that we read about in Judges 3-7. Now I know we read the text in the King James Version and the King James Version does not mention Asherah because the Jews were not even to speak the name of a false god. But all the other translations mention Asherah here by name. If you look at the NIV, the New International Version, it says, that same night the Lord said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old, tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. NLT, New Living Translation. That night, the Lord said to Gideon, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one that is seven years old. Pull down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole that is standing beside it. I won't read all of the translations because there's a lot of them. But just suffice it to say, we're pretty confident that this was the case in this false worship. Well, Baal was a Canaanite storm god that was associated with prosperity and rain. And Asherah was Baal's lover, and it was worship using trees and poles and raised images, kind of like we would know of today as totem pole type things. And so both objects of false worship, they stood on the property of Joash, which was Gideon's father. And these centers of, of depraved evil practices were so ingrained into the town that it, it makes God's displeasure, I think, a little easier to understand. Gideon's family and the people of his hometown were all involved in worshiping false gods. That was part of the reason that God had allowed the Midianites to oppress Israel in the first place. Let me just stop and say this. God can protect a nation, and God doesn't necessarily bring harm upon a nation. But guess what? When you choose to worship some other god, when you just choose to worship the own lust of your flesh and you choose to live according to the concepts and the precepts of man, God can just lift his protection off of a nation like America. He can lift his protection off of a home, off of a marriage, off of a church. It doesn't matter what the entity is. God can just remove his divine favor. I say today as a church, I say today as a father and a husband, and I say today as a citizen of the United States of America, we would be wise to say, God, we need you every day that we live. We need your covering. We need your protection. We need your guidance. Gideon is instructed to take two bulls from his father's herd. The second, that is at least seven years old. The first bull is to be used to tear down the idols. And the second bull is to be a sacrifice on the altar. And this is what was so interesting to me, is why did there have to be a second bull? Why couldn't we just use the first bull? The first bull was no doubt the strongest bull of the herd. It was no doubt the workhorse of, of Joash, Gideon's father's herd. And as is typical, cattle herds only include a, a few bull males, while most of the herd are females. And this first animal, this first uh, bullock that was to be used to pull down the altars was strong and was the, the, the leader, the alpha male, if I can say it that way, of all of this herd. He's likely the largest and the strongest. But there's very specific instructions from the Lord that that's not to be the bull that goes on the altar. It's the second bull 
that's supposed to be on the altar. Why is that? This is what gripped my uh, curiosity. Gideon is to use the bull that no doubt belongs to his father to pull down the altar to Baal. But the following verse shows that it's the second bull at least seven years old that's to be the sacrifice. Verse 26, and build an altar unto the Lord thy God upon the top of this rock in the ordered place and take the second bullock and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the grove which thou shalt cut down. So Gideon is to build a replacement altar, a legitimate altar to God. This is to be placed on the top of the stronghold and to build the stones and to lay them in very specific order. And this altar is to be to the Lord your God and it will replace the altar to Baal. And the Asherah pole that Gideon cuts down is to be used as fuel for the fire on the new altar. God is not merely commanding Gideon to remove the pagan artifacts, but to destroy them and to replace them with a godly alternative. Oh, my friend, I'm going to tell you something. You can't just divorce yourself from the philosophy of this world and say, I'm not going to worship the creature that is more than the creator. I'm not going to just be a worshiper of movie stars and sports stars and worshiper of man's thinking and man's philosophy and humanism. It's not enough to just tear down the idols of this world. You've got to replace it. You've got to get some praise in your life. You've got to get a routine of saying, I'm going to get up every day, and before I turn on the news, I'm going to listen. Listen to down from his glory. I'm going to let there be a praise that emulates around my room and my house and my mind and my car. Somebody's got to build an altar of praise. But why offer the second bullock? Why not offer the first bullock? The first bullock, the strongest. The prize of his herd belongs to Joash, Gideon's dad. The second bullet, commentaries say, most likely belonged to Gideon. The second bullet was Gideon's future. It was Gideon's security. It was seven years old now. It had just come into adulthood. It had just come to a place of strength. He was just entering his prime years. And yet the Lord says, this is the one that I want you to offer as a sacrifice. If I can say it this way, the first bullock was obedience, but the second bullock was sacrifice. When you get saved, when you obey, Acts 2.38, the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 2, when that crowd gathered around the upper room, they begin to hear these people being filled with the Spirit and speaking in tongues. And they heard Peter preach that message of conviction as to who Jesus was. They said, what must we do to be saved? And he told them, you've got to repent of your sins. You've got to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. That's the removal of your sins. You can ask God to forgive you, and God will forgive you, but there's still a record of sin. But when you're baptized in Jesus' name... Your record is expunged. There's no evidence that there was ever a sin in your life. 
Just like a judge can acquit you and, and say you're free to go, but there's still a record of your transgression. But oh, when he expunges your record, uh, there's not even any proof. There's no evidence uh, that there was even a felony in your past or a misdemeanor. It's all been expunged. That's why the Bible said you've got to be baptized for the remission or the removal of your sins. Oh, I'm so thankful that when you take on the name of Jesus in baptism, your record is expunged. It is removed. There is clarity. You have taken on the identity of Jesus Christ. Then he said, you shall be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. And that Holy Ghost is the Spirit of the Lord. We know that to be the resurrection. So repentance, baptism of the Holy Ghost, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ made real to us in New Testament salvation. I would say today that when you obey the word of God in those things, then that is the first bullock. That is salvation. But the second bullock, there's a lot of ways that we can apply this principle, but I'm going to show you, I believe, how the word of God applies it. The second bullock is living a lifestyle of holiness, lifestyle of purity, a dress code of modesty. It's a sacrifice. It's the second bullock. It may not seem like the second bullock is necessary, but the Bible says without holiness, no man shall see God. And while we know that a dress code of modesty does not encapsulate the entirety of holiness, we also understand that habits of modesty and gender distinctive clothing are practices of sacrifice that God honors. That's why we should never look down our nose at somebody that has a distinction in the way that they dress and the places that they go and the way that they talk. You may not feel like it's necessary, but somebody has offered a second bullet. And if God honors it, who are we to criticize it? Oh, you ought to clap your hands under the Lord. That's the power of sacrifice. And so the commands of God's word are for both bullocks to be offered. When Jesus was teaching in the gospels, he was trying to get the Jews to understand that the joy comes from the second bullock. In Matthew 5, we read, he said, but I say unto you that you resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law, take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. That's second bullock teaching. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain or two miles. Second bullock. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. You have heard that it hath been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. First bullock. He's referring to the Old Testament law. First bullock. But I say unto you, here comes the second bullock. Love your enemies. Say, what? Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Second mile. Second bullock. Love them that curse you. Do good to them that hate thee. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Oh, you say, Pastor, I don't think I can do that. Well, then you're going to miss the joy because it's the second bullock, hallelujah, that brings joy unspeakable and full of glory. That's why he said, I come to not only bring you life, that's first bullock, but to bring you everlasting life, that's second bullock. 
come to bring you life and that more abundantly. That second bullet. <laughs> he told the Jews, the scribes and the Sanhedrin, you pay tithes and you've done well. But what about the other parts of the law? What about the second bullock? What about love your neighbor as yourself? You see, the first bullock is tithes. We know we're supposed to pay tithes. The Bible makes that clear. But given to missions is the second bullock. Now you know why I'm preaching this message. <laughs> you say, well, pastor, I'm already, already paying tithes. Why should I give to missions? Second bullock. The rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I've kept all the laws since I was a child. First bullock. Jesus said, sell all that you have and go give it to the poor. That's the second bullock. Woo, the second bullock is a lot more difficult. You've obeyed. That's the first bullock. That's needed. That's commendable. But sacrifice is the second bull. The second bull is your future. Gideon had a future with that second bullock. It was his security. Now, I can understand, Lord, you want me to take out the first bullock because my dad is a Baal worshiper, and that first bullock is his pride and joy. And I'm going to use him to pull down the altars. But why not use him as a sacrifice? No, Gideon, you're going to have to have some skin in the game. It's going to take your bullock as well. You can't just receive salvation by osmosis, ladies and gentlemen. It's going to take some kind of sacrifice on your part. You can't just live on your daddy and your grandparents and your grandma's uh, salvation experience and their prayer life. you got to get a hold of God yourself. you got to find an altar. Oh, I feel my help coming today. I said, you got to find an altar. There's going to be times in life you're going to have tears in your eyes. You've got to know what it is to find an altar of consecration. To say, God, I need you for myself. Can I just say it to you this way? God wants to be your future. He wants to be your security. And as long as you have your second bullock, you have a plan B. God wants to be your plan B and C and D and E and all the way to Z. Peter's plan B was fishing. His plan A, he gave the Lord his first bullet, but things get rough. I can always go back to fishing. So when he went back to it after the Lord was crucified, he fished all night and caught nothing. Because God wants to be your plan B. He's not going to allow your plan B to prosper. <laughs> so when Jesus finally told him the plan, throw your nets on the other side, they caught so many fish that it broke their nets. It put them out of business. Because you can't fish without a net. So when they finally decided to obey him with the second bullock and not just the first bullock, he took out the second bullock. He took out their nets. But it was because there was so much fish. In other words, he was saying, you can do this plan B on your own if you want, or you can give me your plan B, 
and follow what I told you to do, and then you're going to have so much, you're not going to know what to do with it. Isn't that what the Bible said? He'll open up the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that you cannot contain. It's one thing to give out of abundance. It's another thing to give out of sacrifice. That's the second bullet. You'll be blessed beyond what you can even hold. The Bible talks about Elisha, who was called by Elijah to be his successor. And he said, let me go and take care of family business, say goodbye to everybody. And then the Bible talks about how that Elisha took his, his plow. That was his wherewithal. That was his livelihood. And he took the plow and he cut it all up. And he cut up his oxen. And he used the wood from the plow and made the fire and put the oxen. You know what he was saying? I'm putting all my eggs in one basket. Oh, my friend, if you say, God, I'm going to follow your word, I'm not only going to obey, I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to commit myself to, Lord, what you're doing. I'm going to put all my eggs in one basket. Can I tell you that God will not fail you? He's never failed one single person on the face of the earth. That said, God, I'm putting everything in you. I'm not going to hedge my bets. I'm not going to look for some diversification. I'm going to just say, Lord, everything I've got, I put it in your hands. God will honor you for that. Gideon was so blessed, so blessed. After he won this victory and defeated the Midianites and God helped him, he was so blessed he had 70 sons. Seven, zero. Seventy. I'm not sure if that's a blessing or a curse. But it is certainly abundance. Seventy. It is certainly a future. Seventy. All because he gave the second bullet. And then if you go forward, you read Judges chapter 8, verse 22. Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule thou over us, both thou and thy son, and thy son's son also. For thou hast delivered us from the hand of Midian. And Gideon said unto you, I'll not rule over you, neither shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. This is God's victory. That's what he's saying. And Gideon said unto them, I would desire a request of you, though. But, you know, since you're in a giving mood, God's going to be your king, not me. But I do have just a little request that you would give me every man the earrings of his prey. All the Midianites. And then it says in parentheses, for they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. That's another whole sermon. But there was value in all that because they were made of gold. Verse 25, and they answered, we will willingly give them. And they spread a garment and did cast therein every man the earrings of his prey. That was the, the nation they had conquered, Midian. And the weight of the golden earrings that he requested was 1,700 shekels of gold besides ornaments and collars and purple raiment that was on the kings of Midian and beside the chains that were about their camel's necks. Uh, can you understand this? That God, hallelujah, is going to bless the church in these last days. Uh, not so we can just become fat cats, uh, but so that we can uh, be able to finance the revival that God is going to do all over this world. I'm telling you, he's going to bring the riches from the world and it's going to be given to the church where God knows that he can trust the people to give it into the hands of God. They just paid a guy from the Los Angeles Dodgers 
$700 million to play baseball. Almost a billion dollars. I thought, how many crusades could we do for that? Does one guy really need $700 million? Oh, but they said he can hit and pitch. I don't care if he can juggle and hit and pitch. And sing the Star Spangled Banner at the same time. He ain't worth $700 million. But don't you know God can put it on the heart of your boss? God can put it on the heart of Jeff Bezos or whoever else is camped down up here at SpaceX, Elon Musk. I don't care who you are. God's in charge of everybody. He controls your very next breath. God can put it on the heart of a man or a woman to say, I want to bless the work of God. Oh, my friend, this is not the time to be stingy with God on the second bullock. This is a time to say, God, I give you everything, all of my mind, all of my strength, all of my energy, all of my effort. I give everything into your hands. All right, let me move really quickly into what the purpose of these seven years is. He said he's got to be at least seven years old. It's not by accident that the second bullock was seven years old. The number seven has great significance in Scripture. It's the number of completion. Seven days in creation. Seven years Jacob worked for the hand of Rachel in marriage. After being tricked and being married to Leah, her older sister, he worked seven more years for Rachel. The first seven years was the fulfillment of a promise, his word. The next seven years were the fulfillment of a passion, his heart. What are you passionate about? That'll be tied to the second bullock. One was obedience, two was sacrifice. From Leah, he had 10 sons, his future, his security. But from Rachel, he had Joseph, his heart, his joy, his legacy. In Cana, Jesus performs his first miracle. He turns water into wine. It's a miracle of obedience. It was his mother that said to the servants, just obey whatever my son tells you to do. Just keep pouring the water into the vessels. And it was a miracle of obedience. But the second miracle... In John 4 is the healing of a boy at the point of death. The second miracle that Jesus did, it was also in Cana. He told the nobleman, go back to Capernaum. Your son is made whole. In verse 50 says, Jesus saith unto him, go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. And verse 51 says, and as he was now going down, his servants met him. And told him, saying, Thy son liveth. Then inquired he of them the hour when he began to amend. And they said unto him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in the which Jesus said unto him, Thy son liveth, and himself believed, and his whole house. This is again, verse 54 says, the second miracle that Jesus did when he was come out of Judea into Galilee. You see, my friend, the first was a miracle of obedience, but the second 
was a miracle of faith. And it happened exactly at the seventh hour. The second miracle of seven years. The second miracle of seven days. The second miracle of the seventh hour. It's all part of God's plan to point us to the Redeemer. Everything in the Word of God has symmetry. That is all succinct in how it's written so that you and I will know that Jesus is our Redeemer. Because there's going to come times when you don't feel like God is near you, but the Lord has taken steps to remind you He is your Redeemer. He is your Savior. He is your Lord. He is the one that is coming back for a church that's looking for His soon return. And so the writer of Hebrews, Hebrews is written to the Christian Jews who were being persecuted. I believe that Paul wrote it, but didn't put his name on it because he knew those persecuted Jews would not receive it from him. But he didn't put his name on it, so we don't know for sure, and it's been speculation ever since. But it's written in the style that he wrote the book of Romans, and so I believe personally that Paul wrote Hebrews. But this letter, the writer of Hebrews he attempts to prove by this letter and by the letter of the law that Jesus is the Messiah through the priesthood of prior precedent. And in Hebrews chapter 7, chapter 7, verse 1, he says, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, which was what Jerusalem was called before they added the first part, he was priest of the Most High God who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. To whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation, king of righteousness. And after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace. Salem, Salome means peace. And so the Bible tells us all the way in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, as the writer of Hebrews is trying to talk to the Jews and explain to them how that Jesus is the second priest. How that Jesus, even though he didn't come from the tribe of Levi. And so this lawyer-like writing of the book of Hebrews lays out this case, referring all the way back to a man by the name of Melchizedek, who was both a king and his priest. And in the Levi tribe, you couldn't be both. You, you couldn't be a king and a priest. But this Melchizedek, who was mayor of Jerusalem before it was Jerusalem, he met Abraham as Abraham was returning. Abraham, the father of the Jews. So Melchizedek wasn't of a Jewish lineage in that he was not of the lineage of Abraham, but he was a man that was honorable. And people have oftentimes speculated as to whether or not Melchizedek was God or whether he was a man. I believe it's clear from this writing that he was a man, but it was the order of Melchizedek that the writer is talking about as he tries to make a case for Jesus and his lineage back to a royal priesthood. So he uses the order of Melchizedek. That's without beginning and without end. But Melchizedek was a man. We were, we were on a mission trip one time over in the nation of Portugal and and the missionary was talking about Melchizedek. He explained that it's controversial whether or not Melchizedek was a man or was God. And, and there was this little girl that was in the group. There wasn't that many people there, maybe 100 people. But this little girl raised her hand and she said, Mr. Missionary, she said, it's really clear that Melchizedek was a man, that he was not God. And the missionary said, how is that, honey? And she said, because the Bible says 
that Abraham paid his tithes to Melchizedek. And paying tithes is obedience. It's not worship. If he was God, he would have worshiped him. But he was a man, so he obeyed. Out of the mouth of babes. And so the writer of Hebrews is making this case that it came through this, this principle, this first bullock of tithing. It came through the teachings of the law, the Old Testament, and the, and the order of the Levites. But he says, he makes this case, and I know he's writing metaphorically, but he's speaking of the order of Melchizedek as a priest and, and as a king. And he says, it's going to continue. It's without end. And he gives the, the lineage, for example, to show that Jesus is our priest for eternity. And so he uses the example that Abraham, as a Jew, who had in his line of descendants, the tribe of Levi, he paid his tithes to Melchizedek. So he was subservient to Melchizedek. And the writer of Hebrews is saying that Jesus came from that lineage of the order of Melchizedek. So you as a Jew can pay your tithes to Jesus. Woo, that was hard for them to take. Maybe that's why Paul or whoever didn't put his name on the letter. But Jesus, as Paul describes in Romans, as the second Adam. And in Hebrews, the writer describes as the second priest. Perfected the imperfections of the law. That's why your Bible has two testaments. The Old Testament is the first bullock. And the second testament is the second bullock. You go all the way back, you'll find through Jesus' teachings, through Paul and through all of them, they all tell you this, they didn't come to replace the law, they came to build upon the law. Oh, my friend, that's why you can't say, well, I'll take the New Testament, and I know I love all these little pocket New Testaments they got, the New Testament and Psalms and Proverbs. <laughs> Have you seen those little Bibles? Psalms and Proverbs. They're the only two that made it out of the Old Testament, I guess. But you can't replace any of the Old Testament. All the Old Testament is because it's the first bullock. It's the foundation of the altar. It's a part of who we are. It's a part of what we're to do. The New Testament's not to replace it, but it is the second bullock that takes us to the next level. That's why Jesus said, I know what the law says. The law says to go a mile, but I say go two miles. I'm going to tell you something. If you will embrace second bullock living, you will find that your enjoyment of being a disciple of Christ will far exceed your imaginations. It's the joy that Jesus talked about. Verse 11 in, in uh, Hebrews 7 says this, and I close. If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the Aaron, the order of Aaron, which was where the priesthood came through the Levites, Aaron being the first priest. You know what the writer of Hebrews is saying? If it was perfected with the first bullock, there would be no need for there to be another priest after the order of Melchizedek. He could just follow down through the lineage of the order of Aaron. It could all be attached back to the first bullock. But instead, Jesus Christ, 
I know he's saying, the writer of Hebrews is saying, he came with some strange teachings, but it's to fulfill the promises of the Old Testament and to build upon it. And so today, I ask you, will you embrace second bullock living? Will you say, Lord, I'm not interested in just doing the minimums, but I'm ready to go the extra mile. I'm ready to say, Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. Because there's no other God. There's no other Redeemer. There's no other salvation. There's no other place to go. It's all in the name of Jesus. Now, we've talked about principles, but I want you to be able to put those principles to practice. So I want you to take out your book, and I want you to take out your envelope right now. And I want us to be able to put down specifically Second Bullock Living. If you look into this envelope, there's a card that's in there. And on the top of it, it just says generosity opportunities. That's where we get go from, G-O. Generosity opportunities. And at the top of that, you'll just put your name. If you have a pen, you can write your name there. And if uh, you need a pen, just raise your hand. And uh, if you don't want to mess with a pen, but you like to do everything uh, by online, you've got your iPhone, you've got your iPad, um, you can just uh, take a picture of this QR code and it will direct you through uh, what you need to do online. And those of you that are watching online, you can do the same thing. You can just turn to that QR code. You can take a picture of it with your phone. They'll put it just up there in a moment or two. But this generosity opportunities and this card that you have in front of you, there's three different ways and you can designate how you want your monthly pledge or weekly pledge or whatever fits your budget how you want it to be applied. If you say, I want to give $100 to the church ministries, I want to give $100 to community ministries, you say, what are church ministries? What are community ministries? What are global ministries? That's what the book explains. If you now need the book, but you didn't need it before, raise your hand. The ushers are all standing by. If you just want you know, something to eat, raise your hand, because these ushers are ready. <laughs> I just was trying to make sure your hand worked. <laughs> Just raise your hand. They've got all the information. I want to make sure everybody has it. But then you can designate, or you don't have to worry about church, global, community. You can just put my total monthly pledge at the bottom, and you just say, y'all divide it up wherever the need is, because sometimes we have extra needs when there's hurricanes that hit, and, and our Hands for Healing Disaster Relief team is dispatched, and we go and help people in communities and whatnot. This is a part of what comes. It comes from go. And I want to just say this. I want to say... Thank you to Sister Gail and Sister Annie and all the ones that work with our Hands for Healing team because you know what? Through our Hands for Healing ministry, we have become the largest food distribution center in Central Florida, right here from this campus because of your giving, because of Second Bullock Living. And so just put down there on the bottom what your monthly pledge is, and then you can take that. In just a moment, we're gonna bring these uh, up here to the altar. We're gonna put it on the altar. We're going to put it in these global bowls that re represent our commitment to global missions. And you can fill it out. Do you have that? There it is. There's the QR code. You can take your phone, you know. Those of you that are under 70 years old that know how to do this, you can just take your phone. You know, now that I turned 60, I got to find a new age of uh, separation. We've moved it to 70. Someone said, 60 is the new 40. I said, says who? I wish... My body could understand that principle. But anyways, just take uh, your phone and just shoot a picture of that QR code and, 
It'll direct you through the process. If you don't want to fill one of these out, but you want to do it online, you can do that as well. It's all confidential. But I want you to take just a moment, and I want you to fill that out, and I want you to make a commitment. Again, this doesn't start until next year. And in the first Sunday of each month, we have a go offering. Sometimes that works well for people's uh, budgeting to do it at the first of the month. But whatever it is, this is not anything that goes to support staff. It doesn't support utilities of our church. These are ministries that we can give to that go beyond this church, and it blesses others. So this is not anything that we receive for ourselves. God has blessed our church, but we don't want to just sit on the blessing. We want to put the second bullock on the altar, and we want to bless our fellow man. We want to bless people in third world countries that we've never even met that need to know that Jesus Christ is the Redeemer. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, my friend, I believe we're in that second day. I believe we're at that time when man is going to realize they need help. They need God. This is the answer. Jesus Christ is the answer to the ills of society. Everything that this world is suffering from, can I tell you without equivocation today that Jesus Christ is the answer. He's the answer. So just take your phone, put it up there on the QR code. I'm going to do it now so I can see what happens. Put my camera up there. Zoom in on it. Hit the little yellow bar. What happens? Shows you what our goal is. You say the goal is a little bit more than it was last year. That's right, because we're exploring the possibility of starting a Christian school in the fall of of 2024 because our schools aren't getting any better in this world we're going to have to provide a quality education sister johnson is a retired public school principal in bavard county brother johnson is re he's retiring next year as the assistant principal of bayside high we have four teachers in our church two of which were teacher of the year in bavard county all four of them are decorated teachers in the public school system, certified teachers, and all of them are committed to raising up a quality education where our children can receive an education and also be able to know who Jesus is. Hallelujah. You don't have to sacrifice excellence for the cause of Christ. In fact, everything we do ought to be for the Lord's glory. It ought to be done with excellence. And that shows the goal, 625,000. Then it says pledge online. You can do that. You don't even, like I said, you don't have to give anything. You just pledge and say, this is what my pledge is for the year 2024. So you can do it on your phone. You can do it on your iPad, or you can do it by filling out uh, one of these envelopes. If you've got it all filled out and you're ready to bring it to the altar, would you stand? Oh, thank you, Lord. Those of you that are standing, look around at people that are seated and say, right fast, I want, I'm ready to go eat. <laughs> As you get it filled out, stand up. Some of you say, well, pastor, we already do this. We've committed to this. This is, believe it or not, <laughs> I, I see God's handiwork in all this. This is the seventh year that we've done go generosity opportunities. And some of you say, well, pastor, we've committed. We're going to do the same thing we gave our, 
you know what? It helps for us to have an annual commitment because for several reasons. Number one, it reminds us of what the commitment is. Number two, it gives us a chance to understand what our budget is for next year. And number three, it's the opportunity for people that were maybe not a part of this last year to jump in and say, we're gonna be a part of it this year. Amen. We want you to be a part of it. Why don't we all stand together right now? Would you just lift your hands and would you just ask the Lord right now to just take this and bless it, multiply it for the purpose of Christ? Would you do that? Just raise your hand all over the building. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to live with second bullock mentality, to say, God, I'm gonna go beyond just what the minimum requirements are. And I'm gonna say, God, I wanna give of my abundance and of my sacrifice. Lord, I believe that you're our future and that everything we need, we find in you. We've given out of obedience, Lord, but now we give by faith. And we're asking you, Lord, that you would take this and multiply it like you did that little boy's lunch. Multiply it, Lord, so that it meets the needs of the masses. We ask it in the name of Jesus. And I'm going to ask you right now if you would just come down and take your commitment and put it in these bowls. And and if uh, you committed online, I still want you to come down. And I want you to be able to stand around this altar and I want us to pray in the name of Jesus. Just stay when you come down. Stay down to the front here. And we're going to put something special, I believe, on this altar that God's going to honor. Thank you, East Wind. Thank you for all that you do. I want to tell you this because I think it's important. It's in your program. It's in your booklet. But last year, this church, out of all the churches in the United Pentecostal Church, which is several thousand, this church, East Wind, was the 11th highest giving church to global missions. You, you guys. I believe with all of my heart, that's why God has honored this church. I believe that's why the Lord continues to use this church as a vessel, as an instrument to be able to reach our young adults through our WINS conference and to be able to help other churches with crusades through our outpouring crusades and global harvest in motion. All of these different ministries are blessed. You know why? Because you choose to put the second bullock on the altar. Oh, hallelujah. Isn't the Lord good? Aren't you thankful that the Lord, hallelujah, has made a way for us to go above and beyond? Would you lift your hands now all over this building? Would you lift your voice? And would you say, Lord, I commit everything into your hands. I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. Lord, we have given, Lord, out of sacrifice. We have committed, Lord, to give as a part of the faith that you have put in our hearts. And I pray, Lord, even as that great blessing came upon Gideon, I pray, God, that you would open up the windows of heaven and that you would bless your people. Hallelujah. I pray a blessing upon our families. I pray a blessing upon our homes, upon marriages and children, Lord. Oh, God, upon jobs, as we go into this new year, Lord, we're coming into it, Lord, with a high hand in the shout of victory and triumph, knowing, God, that you're our future, you're our hope, and everything we need comes from you. In the name of Jesus Christ. Everybody said, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you so much. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Thank you for your commitment. We believe God's going to restore, renew, and we're going to rejoice together in all that he is doing through this ministry. God bless you. You're dismissed in Jesus.